Welcome to Chicagoland Parenting Stories. I am your host, Lisa Zimmerman. Let's get started with today's parenting story. Welcome back to episode 23 of Chicagoland Parenting Stories. My guest today is Deb Lawrence. Deb is the owner of Magic Hands Birth Services. She is a cranial sacral fascial therapist, childbirth educator, placenta encapsulator, and a long-term birth doula. She has two office locations, one of which is in Bartlett and the other one is in Wheaton, Illinois. Welcome, Deb. Thank you. Uh, would you good like to be here? <laughs> Very good. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself and your children? Uh, you can do names if you and if you don't want to do names, it's fine just by ages. Uh, names are fine. Generally in class, I'm starting to call them oldest, middle, and youngest, so they don't have to track the names down. Yeah. <laughs> oldest just turned uh, 34 in July. Um, middle is 31 will be 32 in December and youngest is going to be 30 in October. So uh, <clears throat> pretty soon all my kids are in their thirties. Yeah. Days away. Yeah. That must be a great place for parenting though. Cause I mean, just, I don't know. I loved my thirties. I just thought like in your twenties, you're so unsure of yourself in your thirties, you still feel great, but you really start being more like, yeah, I've been down this road before. I don't know about that. And it must be really nice as a parent to just see how your children get through, you know, their twenties and the changes and where they kind of start settling out. Well, they're pretty terrific people. I do like them a lot. And I was in my thirties when I had them, I was 32, 34, 36. So, uh, you know, and no grandbabies yet. Um, but somebody's working on it. So we'll oh. see. <laughs> so there's progress <laughs> in that department then. Yeah. I never, ever hassle them. <laughs> Yeah. I actually love working with the grandparents in the home. Like when I come to see the mm -hmm. parents and I'm always like, is this your first grandbaby? And if they say yes, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, how are you? Are you so excited? And usually they're just like over the moon and that child can do no wrong. Well, an oldest has long said, and when I have a baby, it's going to be at home. It's going to be in the water. You're going to be there. Of course oh. you're going to be there. Wow. Yes, so you don't even have to ask the questions about that. That's nice. Oh, no, no. Because when you're a birth worker for their whole upbringing and they like you, <laughs> then you have good odds. Of That's great. That's really great. <laughs> I always feel like there's something special in like how, you know, like the relationship skips generations and, you know, like my parents, I had a much different relationship with them than they had with their parents. And, you know, mm -hmm. also they have a different relationship with my son mm -hmm. than I do. And I just think that it's just so important. And I actually think it's, you know, it's kind of a crying shame that we've gotten to this point where like, you know, sometimes grandparents really aren't around at all, or they're in other states or, you know, because it is just so important. And it's also really interesting for young people to have their parents come and stay with them when they're parents too. That's a very big transition. I am, I am in other states, you know, with most of my kids now. And so we'll see, you know, what all happens. I have done, some, <laughs> there's a sort of a labor support thing we already did. They all decided that they should get tattoos that two decided the third person's tattoo, which they weren't going to see until it was on, which was a Buzzfeed thing, but they were all very careful about choosing wonderful tattoos and youngest is the most freaked out. And oldest said, well, I'll just, I'll, you can just squeeze my hand. I know. I said, no, you're going to squeeze youngest hand. That's going to give her the benefit without the stress. And 
<laughs> it lasted about 30 seconds. And young youngest said, get out. I need mom. <laughs> and so I talked her through her breath, through the whole experience. And I'm like, okay, we got skills for when you're in labor. Oh, for sure. And it must be nice to still be needed, right? Well, that's right. And the other two were like, nah, I got it. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. If you had to describe your parenting style, what would it be? Well, in the things that the attachment, okay, in terms, you know, overarching, I paid attention to my kids. What is it that you're interested in? I'm not going to bend over backwards to give you everything because that's not good for you. But I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to encourage you to be your own selves. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna love you hard to cover, you know, and make make up for the mess ups. Well, and I'm kind of looking at like the ages and thinking about this, you must've been kind of a pioneer almost at that time. Well, or no, it, it's been done throughout the ages. It just may right. not have been called attachment parody. I wasn't in any group or, you know, stuff, but myself and a lot of my friends paid attention to our kids. And, and uh, I cherish all the other mothers in my children's lives and being another mother for other kids as well, because you do need more than just you. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, but probably in all of the titles, attachment would fit. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, that is very interesting though. Uh, without disclosing your age, which generation are you a part of? Oh, I'm a boomer. And I don't You're care my if I first disclose boomer. my age. Right? I'm so excited. <laughs> I haven't had a boomer quite yet. I think I've had people who are like right on the fringe of Gen X. I'm Gen X and uh -huh. like a boomer. But yeah, this is very exciting. So I'm a little bit of a, am I a late boomer? I don't know, but I'm definitely one. Okay. And uh, how would you describe how you were parented? And is it similar or different than how you parent? Well, the whole um, letting my children be who they actually are. I appreciated that about my folks and that they didn't try and make us be something they thought we should be, but instead, you know, let us be our own selves and encouraged our interests and all that kind of stuff. I came from a, a household of faith and wanted to be one of that as well. So there was a, um, a well, my dad's a pastor, but I say mm. the good kind, the kind that preaches the gospel on Sunday and lives it in between. And um, <clears throat> so that was important also to me to to model and teach um, being a person of faith and the love for Jesus and then all of that in my home with my kids. And and I saw that in my family. Um, and they were there for us. They really were there for us. Um, they showed up at our stuff and, and I, there weren't a lot of parents that showed up at all the stuff. I played high school field hockey for heaven's sakes. And, uh, and mom would be there on the sidelines watching the game. <laughs> there were very few parents that were there with no bleachers standing on the sidelines. I was going to say, those were definitely different times. <laughs> and, and, uh. So I learned those things and, and appropriate boundaries. And my, my siblings and I have different personalities. And so 
the discipline that we needed to receive was different. And the boundary, you know, the, the ways that, yeah, the ways that they interacted with us were fair, but not the same, which is important in parenting <laughs> because if you treat all your kids the same, somebody's not getting what they need. Right. Did you know at the time that your parents were slightly different than other parents? Like, were you aware of that? I realized, I realized in, in high school, um, uh, especially like at church camp, because my parents were also there on the staff at church camp. And I was like, okay, I got different parents than other people have. And I, and I've appreciated them. And my siblings and I have different relationships with my parents. Um, one of my siblings didn't get along with them very well. And so you can be the same parents and have different relationships with your different kids too. Definitely. Definitely. Can you describe the work that you do for those that may not understand how you help new families? Sure. Um, for many, many years, I've been involved in birth work. I've been a, um, a birth doula. At this point, um, I'm only doing that for repeat clients. I also have been teaching child, uh, comprehensive childbirth classes, Bradley then informed beginnings for, uh, it'll be 28 years in January. <laughs> and for 24 plus years, I've been a doula. Um, in addition, for the last seven years, I've been practicing cranial sacral fascial therapy, which is a really gentle way to invite tightness in your body to just give it up, dude. So the fascia gives us our structure, our support, our flexibility, but it easily overdoes its job and leaves us with extra tightness. So think about, you know, it helps you hold your head in place when it's at a wonky angle, but then you get a stiff neck. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a it's a fascinating, very gentle technique that I I major in pregnant moms and babies and young families. I also worked in a the office of the airway dentist. So I've done a lot of supporting oral change and dental stuff. And I have a lot of chronic pain people. And so um, I really love that work. And there's a lot of good doulas now, not very much of us doing this work. <laughs> so I've backed off on the birth work and uh, it's, but it makes a big difference, it makes a big difference in bodies and in lives and in babies who aren't fussy anymore and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think it definitely makes a big difference too. And I always try to describe it. It's like, well, you know, like when you make chicken and it's like the white, you know, coating yeah. on the chicken, that's the fascia, which is a really just helpful, like visual for people, especially ones that are so tired and they're just like, don't throw any more information to me than I can handle. Um, but also thinking about it, you must've seen a very big change in the profession of doulas and just how oh, yeah. necessary most people feel that they are now, which is amazing. Like that's it's fantastic. What a great thing to witness. Yeah. Back when I started in 99, there weren't that many of us and people would go a lot. And more and more people have heard of doulas. My one line description is a labor coach for hire who actually knows what she's doing. <laughs> and <laughs> And, and I call a postpartum doula, like a really useful grandma with extra skills and less baggage. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I the, I used to say something like, uh, you know, it's like your sister or your best friend that you actually want helping you. Yeah. yeah. 
Like you want them around because like, they're not going to get in your space. Like they're going to give you your space you need, or they're going to be there to listen, but you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, What is your favorite thing about the work that you do? Um, I love seeing people get the freedom Um, for the body work. I love seeing them get the freedom uh, to actually move again and to release the pain and to have a baby that's not crying all the time. Yeah. And um and cuddles now because they actually can yeah. and and all those things um with birth work just to to be part of helping these families have the the best birth experience they can with the labor that they're given i've long thought realized what i most of what i do is knowledge and skills and courage and both in class when i'm with them for 8 weeks and pour all this stuff into them so that they have it for their birth or when I get to be alongside someone for a birth. Um, it's great work. It's great work. It's all, you know, pretty much one-on-one the things that I do or, you know, individual presence. So COVID was tricky that way, but yeah. Oh, geez. I know. But basically you're giving them courage is what you mean. Like, yeah. Okay. That's a really great way to think about it because it is it into them. So the knowledge and the skills and the courage I build into my clients and then I bring some extra. And okay. Yeah, that must be very helpful because it's a very vulnerable time and not well, always it is. not always the easiest time to be brave. Yeah. And it's it's a um it's a learning experience for anybody who's in the helping professions to get out of the way. Mm. and not want your outcome. Well, this is parenting too. Mm-hmm. Not want your outcome to have to be the thing that happens. I was yeah. very academic and and one of my kids was like, yeah, it's good enough. I don't care. <laughs> to support that child while saying, I don't understand how you can think that way, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for you either way though. <laughs> Got a 21 on their ACT. And I said, well, clearly you're smarter than the amount of work that you put in in school. And the response was, well, duh, mom. (laughs) Like like I'm fully aware of how much I am not trying. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to continue to support you, even though I couldn't have done that. (laughs) What is the biggest challenge with the work that you do then? Um, okay. We're going to go back to the birth or to the, um, the body work. Uh, backing off and listening also a parenting thing Mm -hmm. because the work that I do, I, I describe a lot of times, most modalities think in terms of here's a symptom, here's the technique you're going to use. Here's a symptom. Here's a sequence you're going to go through. And if you think about it, like, um, like music, here's a symptom, here's a piece of music you're going to play. But Gillespie approach, the work that I do, it's more like jazz. So I got to listen to the body. I got to riff with the fascia. So I'm going to rest my hands on somebody and listen to their tightness. And I don't know how it works, but I put my hands on and it's like the fascia goes, oh, she gets us. We can tell her things. And so I pick up cues. But if I'm trying to make something happen, less is going to happen than if I'm actually listening to what the client needs. So you're like a fascia whisperer. 
well, there would be the thing. <laughs> <laughs> On a good day, huh? That's <laughs> that, right. That's, that's right. the goal. <laughs> so, a little fascia jazz. <laughs> exactly. So looking at the ages of your children and how long you've been in the business, did the birth of your children bring you into what you did or had you already <laughs> been interested in that? Why, indirectly, yes, it did. <laughs> so... um I did not know very much when I had my babies. I signed up for a Bradley class. It got canceled while I was pregnant with oldest. She was breech. Um, the doc said he would attempt a version, which is turning a breech baby while they're still in utero, mushing yeah. from the outside. She flipped right over. The induction was going smoothly. Then she caught the cord in her fingers and shoved her hand up by her head and prolapsed her cord. So we were able to protect the cord and stop the contractions. So I had the C-section when everybody got there. Mm. And when she was six months old, we went to the Philippines as missionaries. And I had my next two babies there. And I just had like one skill and determination. <laughs> and we did it. We had two unmedicated vaginal births. So you and had the two V-backs in the Philippines. Philippines. Okay. Great. In Philippine hospitals. Yeah. And the last one... Um, the doc said, this was amazing. Can you teach this? So that question changed the trajectory of my life. When we came back to the States, I trained to teach Bradley method classes. We did not return to the Philippines. So I've been teaching since January of 96. About 15 years ago, I helped start informed beginnings with um, 12 years ago, whatever, with a group of other educators across the country. So it's a sister organization, just as comprehensive. And, um, and then I became a doula because my students said, uh, Hey, could you be our doula? And then I went, Oh, what a great job. So it was a good job for me part-time while I invested myself in my kids. And, <clears throat> and now it's nice also to have a job where I'm not on call all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can attest to that. I'm sure that that's got to be really hard. I'm, but I'll I'm still definitely take my repeats, you know, until, until they stop having babies or people like I have a first time mom coming up at the end of this month, but I've known her since she was in the nursery at church oh, and, yeah. you know, besties with the youngest. And, you know, so if I watched you grow up, you also get dibs on me. <laughs> So it's, it's more like special occasion at this point. Exactly. I didn't realize that you had helped to found the, in the informed beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there's there. It's sort of dwindled. It's rather mm -hmm. dwindled at this point because we did not have, we lost enough energy invested in it. Um, but there's still some of us that are teaching. Okay. Under informed beginnings and it is still alive. And I'm still the president. So do you call that a teaching model then? Is that what well, it is? Well, it's a childbirth education organization. Okay. You know. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you always want to be a parent? I did. I did. I was, yeah. Yeah. And we had a few struggles along the way. And I didn't know if I was going to get to be a parent. Um, but I did. Okay. <laughs> And at what age of your children do you really think you start parenting them? Well, I've long talked about how the early years are the time intensive years and the older years are the character intensive years. But you end up um, doing better in the character intensive years if you've invested in the time intensive years. 
So I think there's some aspect of parenting that happens from the very beginning. You know, do you actually pay attention to this child? Erickson's um, stages of development make a heck of a lot of sense. Exactly. I'm a huge fan of that. Like trust versus mistrust right off the bat. So if you want, youngest um, went to Columbia and did downtown in Chicago, Mm -hmm. not the other Columbia's. (laughs) And Columbia College, Chicago. And uh, in her child development class, you know, you can do creative things. So she wrote a song about Erickson's stages of development. That's really great. Um, But if that baby doesn't get that sense of trust from the beginning, it's not going to have the additional growth to go. I, I enjoyed each stage of my children's lives. I was happy to see them get big. I well, was, and when you look at it not... through that model, it's exciting because you know that they all build on each other. So when you see them going through it, I used to work in a substance abuse facility and I would run groups. And one of the things that I taught was Erickson and I mm-hmm. built a house as a visual. So mm-hmm. trust mis- versus mistrust was the basement. And then we built the walls and then we built the roof mm-hmm. and then we built the windows and the windows was, you know, like identity versus role confusion. How do I look at myself? And and mm-hmm. it was it was actually pretty clever when I think about it, but it was really helpful just for people who, you know, they weren't going to delve deep into this, but the visualization of how important it was for the to fill, build the foundation of the house is what I was really trying to get across. And, and it's you can see, I'm sorry, you can see people yeah. who are stuck that yes. never got beyond a certain point. So they yes. can't go further. Yes. And then, yeah. you know, as somebody who knows about it, you can also be like, woohoo, when your child does go through the stages and they are doing what they're supposed to do, which I should know off the top of my head, but my son's 11 and he's definitely gone past the concrete thinking and he's into whatever, mm-hmm. I think it's intuition versus integrity, whatever it is. But like, he's, I've watched him go through them and feel like, okay, you know, like this, it, it's a little bit more reassuring to me because you just never know. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of that too. And I, I really feel like it should be so instilled in everything that we teach, even if you don't believe it as a philosophy in terms of like how you practice, if you're in the mental health field, I just think it's just a really nice framework because it's just easy. And it's so yeah. like, okay, either you do this or you do this. And if you're not moving up, this is where you are. And you could get really stuck. Mm-hmm. And you do see people that they become unstuck and mm-hmm. it is really important. Mm-hmm. So yep. you're probably getting to the legacy point. I, I forget what that yeah. last one's called, but you know what I mean? Like the, um, yeah. yeah, which is exciting yeah, for me personally. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Was I think good. that's and very exciting. I, I like them big. You <laughs> I like didn't work when they, you know, people, oh, I miss when my kids were little. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Although looking at the ages of them, you had quite a lot of littles at the same time. So well, there's, Four and a quarter years, yeah, altogether between oldest and youngest. So they were, they were close enough that they were doing similar things at the same time, right? And it wasn't like so spread out when you got five years between all your kids. And what do you do with a five-year-old and a fifteen-year-old? You know. So, um, I yeah, it worked out. They became friends as adults. Youngest just thought oldest was fabulous and wanted to always be around and oldest was like leave me alone you annoying child right <laughs> until youngest was about a front a senior in high school and then oldest is like you're okay after all and now they're super besties and then they 
let middle in. And so my kids are because middle, of course, was in the middle. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, it's it's nice to see them all connected really well. Yeah, that that's that's going to be important, too, because then you feel like, you know, they're going to be okay. Like they've got each other. They're going to be okay, which is really nice. If you had friendships when your children were babies, how important are those to you now? And do you still keep in touch? Um, I do have some friends that I've had all those years. And uh, geographically, we're not right next to each other as much. Although, although there are some people still at church. And uh, I had a friend that I had known since... I was 13 and she was 16. We were at church camp together. Then we were at at college together when she was a senior and I was a freshman. We ended up in the same church together. She'd pass me down clothes. My children ended up babysitting for her grandkids in Hmm. the city, (laughs) all this kind of thing. So there are families with whom we have been entwined all these years. And those are the kind of people that we just pick it up again. If we haven't seen each other for a while, we just pick it up again. And there's a few that also other mothered my children through their years that are very good friends of mine. And and I very much appreciate that. I'm the sort of person that will keep a friend for a long time, even if I don't see him. We're, we're still connected mm-hmm. when we do see each other. Yeah, I was just trying to explain to my son, like, those types of friendships where, like, you don't have to catch up. It's just like, boom, I haven't seen you in just two there. years, and it doesn't matter because the minute we get together, boom, we're moving forward. And mm-hmm. we have we already know each other's stuff to a certain point um, because he just started middle school. So there's been, you know, changes with friendships and people that you see, and, you know, there's no recess and time to really hang out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to try to characterize that for somebody else when if you've been lucky enough to have those friendships, you just flow right into them. Mm-hmm. But you also mm-hmm. know like how precious they are and they don't come with everybody. Like even in the mom's group, right? Like you're going to make friends. Hopefully you'll walk away with one friend who you actually really keep in touch yeah. with. Not yeah. only because your mom dating and you guys happen to get along and your babies are similar ages or whatever, but there's actually a real genuine friendship that blossoms, but it takes a yeah. lot of time. It ta- There's yeah. a lot of history it that really goes does. into it. And you don't, you don't have history with somebody. You build history with somebody. Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, you may have a lot in common, but it's like, but, but when you get to the point where we've known each other two, five, 10 years, you know, even longer, obviously too, then you really start feeling like we've been through things together Mm -hmm. or like as a new parent, we're like war buddies. Like now we've been through the battles together and we've, you know, seen each other. And this, this first time parent that I'm supporting at the end of September, her, younger brother is getting married on October 15th. And he was the third baby that I supported before I started being a doula for money. Mm. And, you know, so there's all the intertwining, but now we don't see each of the parents and I don't see each other very often, but I show up at the showers and boom, we're together, you know? (laughs) So we're we're still good. And and I know stuff about your whole life and we, our kids were emotional cousins and you know, that's just, it's a good way to be. It's mm-hmm. a good way. To be. Yeah. You definitely want to bring more people into your fold 
if possible, as opposed to pushing them away. What do you see as the biggest trend in parenting right now? I'm not close enough to know because I don't have little ones. I don't, I mean, I see them when they're super teeny, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm not in the trenches of raising the kids right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm concerned about the hovering. Mm. Um, I'm concerned when parents think they can't say no to their kids. Mm. Uh, the two comments I probably made the most raising my children was mama loves you too much for you. Think you can be that kind of girl. And, and, uh, mama doesn't do things for girls who whine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Would have done that, but you were whining and we're going to set the timer for 20 minutes and then you can ask again. (laughs) Yep. I have a friend who always would say start over and I actually picked it up and it was still now where if something comes out too snarky, I'm like, start over. You know, Uh that's it. You can ask again. I'll give you the chance, but you Uh need to change your tone a little bit. And any, my, one of my children, well, all my children can be anxious, but one of them would get all like, and I'd say, use your regular voice. "Eh, Oh, thanks mom. Yeah. Cause if you just use your regular voice instead of your high pitched voice, it just takes the, the pressure down. Right. Right. And that's also a way to teach breathing, which obviously you use a lot. Let's take your body back. Let's just take your body back. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. After my son started school this year, like the first weekend, his jaw hurt from clenching his jaw, which he had never done before. So we had to have conversations around like, okay, what do we do to relieve stress? There's not a lot of ways to do this in middle school right now. So what are you going to do? Well, you can go outside and throw a ball. You can walk your dog. Why don't you just take the bus home with somebody else and walk all the way home and give yourself 10 minutes by yourself, you know, because right now he's got like two minutes and then he's in the house and then there's, I got to do homework and, you know, and just take that time and space for yourself. But, you know, you're allowed to do it. He's got like a little watch because I won't let him have a phone yet. And he can like text me, mom, I'm going to take the bus, you know to Hickory street or whatever. And then he can just, you know, like, and I, once in a while throw out there, like, Hey, you know, you haven't, you haven't done that in a while. Are you going to do it? And usually has to go to the bathroom too bad. And he's got too much stuff to carry and he doesn't really want to. (laughs) But then there's been times where I've been like, well, if I'm close enough, if I'm on the way home and I know what he's going to, where he's going to be, I'll just show up and be like, Hey, do you want me to take your bags for you? So you can just walk. And usually he's like, no, I have to go to the bathroom. I just want to ride, you know, but it's, but just giving him that, you know, trying to teach him the lessons of like, okay, change is hard. Stress is hard. How do we start managing that? What are the things physically in my body that tell me like something's Mm -hmm. going on and Mm -hmm. they're really important lessons. And then in his health class, I was like, I'm so excited about this. So he's in health class right now, not in gym, which is another problem because now there's no physical activity. Um, But they learned about the three pillars. I'm like, what are the three pillars? Um, It's physical health, emotional health, and social health, which I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then even the way that he's learning Maslow's hierarchy of needs, none of that sounded like anything I know from a textbook, which I barely remember. Um, But it's, so they're really focusing on that with these kids. And I don't know if it's because they've all been through the pandemic and, you know, there's that piece, or this is, the direction they were already going or what, but yeah, I just felt like, Oh, they got a good teacher in there. (laughs) Yeah. In the good curriculum. And I mean, you know, because most people don't filter out the difference between our emotional health and our social health, which, Mm -hmm. you know, people of a certain age, you have a social health that you need to really faith, you know, to really guard. And it's interesting because it makes me, you know, feel like, 
just to have that as a pillar in your head, that would just change the mindset of so many things where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, how am I taking care of this pillar? Like I know how to do my physical Mm -hmm. and the emotional is taking the bus home, you know, somewhere else and walking, but what am I doing for my social health? And right now he doesn't really have to do too much because I'm still making his plans and, or the moms are, and he's not online yet because I won't let him have a phone, but it it won't take long, you know, and that's going to be super important. Yep. What has your child or your children taught you the most about being a parent? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You learn a lot uh, about who you are as a person and what's important. Um, That they're just, it's nice to, to have them be delightful. We did have, for the first time over the pandemic, uh, an interesting experience where we viewed boosting immunity in different ways. And for the first time, I didn't do the things they wanted me to do. Mm. And and I was like, I'm still who I am and you guys can make your choices. But, but uh, and, and it caused a little bit of, um, it, it caused some separation where some of my kids pulled back from me. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that that is mostly resolved at this point. Um, uh, <clears throat> I just enjoy them. They're just delightful people. And it's so nice to have been able to, to have this lifelong relationship with people I really like. Um, and they're own, they are their own people. For absolutely sure. Um, You just got to let them be themselves while also helping them not be awful, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mama loves you too much to think you can be that kind of girl, uh, you know, sort of situation where um, let's help them learn to make good choices. Let's help them learn to be responsible people, to be caring people, to be giving sorts of people. Um, uh, Yeah, I'll go there. Yeah, I think that that sounds about right. For our final question, what is your biggest parenting advice to share with new parents? Um, Don't try to be perfect. Just go for being good enough because that's all you're going to be. And uh, my <laughs> my parenting Bible verse is love covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> I just figured I was going to make a bunch of mistakes. I'm just going to love them hard. And by love them hard means it doesn't just mean I'm going to give them everything, but I'm going to pay attention to them. I'm going to help them shape who they are in ways that have them be the good kind of people and not the you leave me alone kind of people. Um that that I just get to um, don't try and be perfect and pay attention to your kids. Also, take little vacations every so often. Every so often, I would say to my children, I'm having a mama vacation for the next 20 minutes. Leave me alone. Oh, <laughs> wow. Would you set when a timer and up? everything? <laughs> would you when set, a, set the up? kitchen timer? Okay, you can't come in here for 20 minutes leave me alone for just a little bit. (laughs) So, 
<clears throat> you can't make your children be something. Well, you can't make your children do much of anything. You can entice them into almost anything. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is one of the reasons that you need to teach them about enticing. What do you want to make choices about? Mm -hmm. You know, who, who are you going to be? Yeah. But don't, don't kill yourself because you're not going to be perfect. And if you were, you'd be a really annoying person and your child wouldn't be able to live up to you and would feel rejected. So, Oh, hey, for sure. Hey, for sure. Let's just be good enough because good yeah. enough is a great parent. Yeah. And they do go through so many different phases. I mean, I can just imagine by the time that my son's the age of your children, you know, you've already seen them succeed and fail and how they handle those things. And oh, and to know. be able to have failure and come through it and all important stuff. Oh, for sure. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And Yoda says, you know, the most important some, something loosely is basically failure is the most important teacher. Mm -hmm. you know, and it really is like, and, and not only, you know, learning from mistakes, but learning resilience because <laughs> resilience uh -huh. is a very hard yeah. thing to teach in a person and not everybody's built with it, yeah. you know? And so, but really being like, okay, well, you know, let's just take some time. Let's lick our wounds and then let's plan for the next thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it and is the failure hard. isn't permanent, you know? Mm -mm. And not everything's going to work out. Right. Well, that reminds me of like the saying about like, you know, there's people that are in your life for a reason, people in your life for a season, you know, mm -hmm. that whatever that is that I can't think off mm -hmm. the top of my head right now. But that reminds me of that loosely is that like, you know, failure happens for a reason or it can happen for a season, but it may not happen forever. You know, there may be a series of things that happen that make it really seem hard, but, you know, really teaching resilience in our children, especially in an age when, you know, there's so much self-harm and, you know, suicides and things yeah. like that. Like you really yeah. want people to learn, like there is resilience and things do get better, you know, and yeah. things change. Um, my bottom line for my birth clients, I say a successful birth is one in which you've made good informed decisions based on the labor you're given. And it's pretty much life too. Wow. That's, you a know, way to you make good informed it. decisions based on the situations you're given. Right. And sometimes you have some choice and some control over your situations and sometimes you don't. Right. Right. So you make right. good informed decisions based on where you are. Yeah. And based on what you've been given. I really like that perspective actually, because then you're looking at everything as more like a gift. And then mm -hmm. what have I decided to do with it as opposed to well, my body failed me because I had to go through an induction and I want to put the cesarean. It's yeah. like, well, this yeah. was the labor I was given. So how did I work through those issues? And I say, you've never failed. Uh, you, you, you haven't failed, but you can be disappointed. Mm -hmm. For yeah. sure. Oh, you can, you can grieve things that had to happen, but you know, it wasn't wrong. And if I hadn't had a C-section, I wouldn't have my oldest. Exactly. And also it's just a good way just to frame things, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of just being a little bit more, um, forgiving of yourself mm -hmm. and just circumstance. Mm -hmm. Well, we are out of time. Thank you for joining us for episode 23 of Chicagoland parenting stories. And thank you to our guest, Deb Lawrence, owner of magic hands, birth, Sur birth and therapeutic services. Thank you so much, Deb. It was a pleasure.